I'll say that. All right, ladies, if I could have everybody's attention, if y'all could find a seat, if you haven't already, and if you could move up to the front, if you're in the back, towards the back, move up to the front. So as our friends who get parking have a place to come in and sit, they're like more tables up here. Tracy has requested that we please not spill anything on the tablecloths. The men are eating in here. I don't think they would notice if we did spill anything, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, a couple of announcements. If you haven't registered for Feast Not Famine and are planning to come, please do so. We've got about 200 ladies already registered, so it plans to be a fun night. And please, please use this as an opportunity to invite friends or family to come. It's just a great non-threatening event here at Covenant for Women. Um, if you had signed up to bring cleaning supplies, please go ahead and bring those. I know we still need laundry detergent, which is their favorite thing. So um, if you're out at the store and can pick up some laundry detergent, do so. If you are giving money to pay for the buckets, you can do that by check or cash. And there's an envelope in the box outside of my office, or you can give it to me today. That's fine. Um, Also, next week is our last week. So very sad. Um, We are going to have lunch together next week. And um, we're going to be doing a couple, we're going to wrap the buckets, and we're also going to be rolling silverware for a couple of Christmas events that are coming up. So if you want to stay and hang out and enjoy food and fellowship a little bit with some really simple service projects, we would love that. And I'm going to pray for Emily and get her up here. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you see us. Lord, that you love us. Father, that you have given us your word. Lord, that you are the one that transforms us. Father, we are so thankful. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning. Lord, that we would hear your truths and your word. Father, that you would um, bless the men who are meeting next door. Father, that you would give them wisdom and discernment. We pray for Robbie as he preaches your truth to them for their worship service, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. All right. So we are picking up today in 2 Peter 2. Remember, Peter is writing to believers. I think it's important to note that he is writing to believers. And these believers are scattered. They're kind of all over. And he's writing to them because he loves them. Peter is like a shepherd to these people. He loves them. He cares for them. He knows that his time is about to end. And so he wants to remind them of all of these things. Remember, he has already told them that they have all they need for life and godliness. He's told them that God has made them all these great promises and that he has fulfilled them in Jesus. And because of that, they have been given a new nature. And he says to these readers, he says, grow with this new nature. Grow, grow in knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love. He's encouraging them as believers to grow in these things because wherever they are, he wants them to be effective for the gospel. He wants them to be effective. And so he's encouraging them to grow. He talked a lot in the first chapter 
about the importance of believers knowing God and Jesus through his word. And he says this is of utmost importance as he tees up this message that there are false teachers among the people. As believers, it is vitally important for us to know God and Jesus through his word as he reveals himself to us through his word. Think about your friends. How have you gotten to know them? Do you sit at your house and they sit at their house and you just kind of think about what kind of a good friend they might be? Oh, she might be really good at this or really helpful at this. Of course not. You spend time with them. You talk to them. You get to know them. You hear them. You hear their heart. And then over years, you see time and time again when they lay down their lives for you and they come help you with your children or they work really hard to make you a meal because you've just had a baby or they all kinds of things and you learn who they are and that is what Peter is wanting his people to to do with God's word to get to know God and Jesus through his word because on every single page he's revealing himself to to us when we read that even though Adam and Eve sinned in the garden that God God came to them and he clothed them. God teaches us by the power of his spirit and through his word that he is gracious. And when we read that God made all those promises to Abraham in in the Old Testament, then he fulfilled them all in Jesus. God is teaching us that he is faithful. And when we read that God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could go straight through and escape the Egyptians, God is teaching us that he is our deliverer. When we read that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and, and the other laws for the people, God is teaching us that he does actually demand obedience from his people. When we read that God... Um, told Moses all the intricate details of building the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. God is teaching us that he's holy and we are not. And he's teaching us that he really, really wants to be with his people. He really does. And when we, we read in his word that God sent Jesus to perfectly live out all of those commands that he demands of his people, and that then he died a servant's death on our behalf so that we can have eternal life, God is teaching us that he is just and he's merciful. We get to know him through his word. We get to know his character, the truth of his character. And he teaches us the truths of his kingdom. In the New Testament, when we read that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we read that he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when we read that he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God is teaching us through his word who he is, the truth of who he is and the truth of his character. And Peter says, that is very important. It is so important for us to be established in God's truth, Peter says, because he says that there are false teachers among the people. Have you ever read a book and then you watch the movie that was made on that book? And because you'd read the book, you could instantly discern if there were discrepancies between the movie and the book. 
That's what Peter's wanting his readers and us to know. He's wanting us to be able to do that. As the believer earnestly comes to God's word, desiring to know him through the truth of his word, Scripture tells us that he equips us, he teaches us, he reminds us of his truth so that we can discern any departure from Scripture. And that is a really good thing because Peter says that these false teachers are coming in, they're bringing the heresies into the church, they are twisting and turning God's word, and Peter says, beware. All right, before I get to our passage for today, I want to look back quickly in Scripture because I want us to see that this is not a new thing. If we look back at the garden, you know, Adam and Eve were there with God in a very special way and everything was really, really good. And then Satan, the father of lies, came in and he took God's very own words and he twisted them and turned them because he wanted Adam and Eve to not trust that God's word was true. He wanted them to question. And so Adam and Eve listened to him. They they listened to his lies. And remember, they were sent out of the garden. And Satan, the father of lies, has been doing that ever since. He has been taking God's very own words, twisting them and turning them, because he wants to make a separation between God and the people. He wants to separate the people from the truth of God's word. And one of the ways that he has done this is through false prophets in the Old Testament and false teachers in the New Testament and now. I want to quickly, the beginning of chapter 2 told us that there were false prophets in the Old Testament. I want to just really quickly look at one example of that so that we can see what false prophets were like in the Old Testament. If you look at Ezekiel 13, you don't have to turn now, I'm going to summarize it. But this was during the Babylonian captivity. And Ezekiel was a true prophet of the Lord. He was called by the Lord to speak truth to the people. And Ezekiel knew that the state of the Israelites was not very good. They were immorally corrupt. They were following false gods. And Ezekiel said the state of the Israelites at that point was like a wall. They had built a wall. They were building a wall that made them feel secure, but it was built on all kinds of falsehoods. They were believing in false gods. They were following false gods. They were um, believing lies. They were, you know, just living very corruptly. They were not following the Lord. And so Ezekiel said this wall that they're building It's like a wall that's crumbling. It's crumbling because it's not built on anything of substance. It's built on no truth. And he says that wall is crumbling. And so the Lord said to Ezekiel, he said, I want you to go and I want you to um, prophesy against all the other prophets of Israel because here's what the prophets were doing. The, The state of Israel was really bad. And these false prophets were coming in and they were doing things like, um, they were telling people lies. They were making it worse. They were making the state of this wall worse by saying, you're good. You're great. All's good. Peace. You're good. Keep going. They were sometimes encouraging their people to live in the, in these ways that were false. They were encouraging them to believe these false lies. And so Ezekiel says, Ezekiel says to the people, to, he says, that God tells Ezekiel, prophesy against, it's okay, prophesy against these false prophets because these false prophets are trying, are making things worse. 
They are not, instead of telling the people to tear down this wall and rebuild on something of truth, which would look like the people um, repenting of their sins, turning back to the Lord, following him, building a wall that really could stand in the day of the Lord, building on something of truth and substance. Instead of doing that, Ezekiel says that what they were doing is they were taking whitewash and they were smearing it on the outside of this wall. They were trying to make this wall look like it was stable, look like it was built on something secure, but it really wasn't. And so the Lord said to those false prophets, I'm against you. So that's false prophets in the Old Testament, and there were lots more. That's just one example. But Peter now tells us to beware because there's false teachers. There are false teachers among the people. And I kind of think of this section of 2 Peter kind of like if you were sending a child off to college, which I have not done yet. But um, I'm just imagining when Eric and I go to take our first child to college and, you know, we've done all the things, we've set everything up, it's time to go and Eric's in the car, you know, going, let's go. He's until you got 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes, Emily. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm like with Mary going, okay, what, you know, stay away from the, the mean boys and the bad boys and, you know, do this and don't, and when you're driving, you look out for pedestrians because, you know, in college towns, they're all over the place. And, you know, I'm telling her all of these things um, because I only have 10 more minutes with her before I leave. And I kind of feel like that's what Peter's doing here because he knows his time is ending. And so he's telling the people, you look out for all of these things that false teachers could be doing. Look out, be aware. Now, I think it's important to note here, and I got this from Josh, but false teaching can happen in two ways. There can be ignorant false teaching, which is um, very innocent, open to correction. And then there's purposeful false teaching, which is um, meant to deceive people away from God's truth. And that's what Peter's talking about here. The teachers that are, are meaning to deceive away from God's truth. All right, let me read our passage and then we will get going. Sorry, that was a long intro. All right, here we go. This is 2 Peter 2, starting in 10b. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world 
through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has been has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. All right, let me pray. Father God, we just come to you right now. Lord, you are our king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, I just pray that you would meet with us right now. Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to hear your truth, Lord. Um, and that we would just um, walk in your truth, Lord, that your truth would be so embedded in our hearts that we would have wisdom and discernment, Lord, as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, there is a lot here in this passage, and it is really heavy and really dark. Um, But hang with me, because there is hope for the believer in the midst of it. Uh, We're going to focus on three things today. That based on Peter's teaching, these three things, um, these false teachers are lacking these three things. And Peter wants his readers and us to be well equipped to discern these three things. These three, the teachers are lacking submissiveness, self-control, and substance. Submissiveness, self-control, and substance. We see that these teachers are lacking submissiveness in verses 10b through 11, where Peter is setting up a comparison. He sets up this comparison um, by saying that the false teachers are are responding to glorious ones a certain way, and the angels are responding to glorious ones a different way. Now, our homework took this a little bit differently, so I'm I'm gonna refer to Jude um, here because lots of commentators that I respect um, refer to Jude to gain a better understanding of what Peter's talking about. Jude also, Jude 8 and 9, the verbiage is very similar. And the Greek word for glorious ones is the same in Jude as it is in Second Peter. So in Jude, we learn that these glorious ones are most likely evil angels. And Jude says that the, Jude also says that the false teachers are blaspheming the glorious ones. And he tells, he sets up a comparison for us and tells us a story. He says, okay, this is what the false teachers are doing. They're blaspheming the glorious ones. But here's an example of how the angels respond in that same situation. He says, the good angel, the archangel Michael, at one time was disputing with Satan about Moses' body. Okay, we do not know the details of this dispute and we don't need to know them, but all we need to know is that the archangel Michael, a good angel, was disputing Satan about Moses' body. And the archangel Michael, instead of blaspheming Satan before the Lord, he sat back and his only response to Satan was, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. It's a picture of the Archangel Michael sitting back, putting all glory, all authority, all power, all judgment to the Lord, leaving vengeance to the Lord, submitting to the Lord. And what Jude and Second Peter are wanting to tell us is that these false teachers are not submitting. They are not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus in their lives. They are 
boldly and willfully, without even trembling, doing things that even angels wouldn't do. And this is in stark contrast, you know, to what the angels were doing. Peter wants his readers to be able to discern and to be able to say, this is a departure. This is a departure. Because God's word clearly tells us over and over and over again that we are to submit to the Lord. James 4, 7 7 says it plain as day. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He is creator, we are creation, and we are to submit in every way, in every aspect to him. We also see that these false teachers are lacking self-control. Well, we really see it all over all of these verses. We just saw it, that they're lacking self-control in their words by, by um, blaspheming the glorious ones. But Peter, Peter tells us in verse 12, he shows us that they don't have um, control over their reactions and responses to people. He says they're like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They're acting like animals. Now, I don't know much about animals, but I I have been around a lot of five-year-old boys. (laughs) And I know how five-year-old boys can act. And they, they are creatures of instinct. They just, you know, do what's right in front of them. They're, you know, not thinking very much about the consequences of their actions. And um, I remember one time when my son was about five and he got so mad at his sister that he tried to pick up this little like child size table, you know, and throw it on her. And I mean, it's like, what, you know, but um, thankfully he was not successful. But that I think is a picture of what Peter is saying about these false teachers. I think he's saying, you know, they're, they're just acting without thinking. He also shows us that they have no restraint over their worldly desires. He tells us that they are trained in greed. They're doing just about anything that they can to get what they want. He says that they're following the way of Balaam. Now, the story of Balaam is in Numbers 22 through 24. You have to go back and read it because it's just so funny, but, and also sad, but, um, Balaam was hired by the king of Moab. Moab was really scared of the Israelites because the Israelites were traveling and they were like taking over people groups as they were going. And Moab was really scared. And so the king of Moab had heard about this guy named Balaam. And and Balaam was supposed to be this guy that could see the gods and he would bless and curse people and all this stuff. And so the king of Moab sent for Balaam and he said, go get Balaam because I want him to curse the Israelites. And now you have to understand that the Lord had specifically told Balaam, you are not to curse the Israelites because they are a blessed people. But when Balaam heard about all the money he was going to get and all the esteem and how, you know, this and that, he was going to be respected among the people and he was going to be wealthy, he thought, well, you know, maybe I'll do that. So he travels back to go try to curse the Israelites. He was unsuccessful because of Lord. Of course, the Lord is greater than Balaam. But, you know, he, he's thinking he's going to get all this stuff. Now, there was a donkey, talking donkey in the story, which is awesome. And the talking donkey actually had more wisdom and discernment than Balaam because Balaam's view was so clouded. 
It was so clouded by his desire for wealth, by his desire for esteem and power and all these things. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't see in front of him. He was so nearsighted. And his donkey, his animal, could actually see better than he could. And so Peter's telling us that these false teachers are following the way of Balaam. Their view is clouded by their desire for more and more. In verse 14, he also shows us that they have no self-control when it comes to physical desires. He says that they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. The ESV commentary says their eyes desire adultery with virtually every woman they meet. Their appetite for sin is never satisfied. So they have no control when it comes to their physical desires. And Peter, again, wants his readers to be able to note this is a departure. This is a departure because God's word often speaks of believers having self-control and growing in self-control. Galatians tells us that it's a fruit of the spirit, right? We all know it, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and then we, we learn finally that these teachers are lacking substance. We see it in verse 12. They blaspheme about matters of which they are ignorant. Verse 17, they are waterless springs and mist driven by the wind, by a storm. And verse 18, they speak loud boast of folly. These teachers are speaking and making judgments about things of which they are completely ignorant. They are waterless springs. You know what a waterless spring is? Nothing. They're promising refreshment and life and water, but they have nothing to give. Their words are empty and void. And they're speaking foolishness. They are missed, driven by the storm. They're driven by their own desires and interests, just like Balaam. And Peter wants his readers to be able to discern if teachers aren't teaching directly from the truths of God's word so that they can say, this is a departure because God's word is the very essence of substance. It is absolute truth. In Isaiah 45, 19, the Lord says, I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for speaking, for reproof, for correction, and for teaching in righteousness. And then Peter tells us the impact and destiny of these false teachers, and it is, worth some, it is something worth trembling over. In verse 12, he says they're destroyed in their destruction. In verse 13, he says they suffer wrong from their wrongdoing. Remember back in Ezekiel, the false prophets that were prophesying to the people and telling them that they were okay in peace when there really was no peace, telling them to keep going in their sins? Here's what the Lord says to those false prophets. I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. In verse eight, verses 18 through 22, and then also back in verse 2, we read that, that these teachers will sadly lead lots of people astray. And verse 17, the gloom of utter darkness is reserved for them. At the final judgment, they will realize the truth of God's word. 
and they will suffer the full wrath of his judgment, and they will be eternally separated from him. Now, there are still false teachers today, um, preachers and teachers that are avoiding calling people to repentance, sometimes even encouraging them in their sins, so elevating themselves and refusing to submit to the lordship of Jesus, and it can sometimes be really subtle and Um, That's why Peter just really wants his people to cling to God's truth because there is hope for the believer in it. Listen to what the psalmist says here about the believer is they are rooted and established and standing on the truth of God's word. This is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to it. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I'm borrowing from Jason Sterling here that there is only one one man who ever did this perfectly, whoever walked not in the counsel of the wicked, who, who who perfectly walked this out, who didn't stand in the way of sinners, who didn't sit in the seat of scoffers, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And we can run to him. As believers, we can run to him And he will hold us fast. He is holding us fast. If we want to persevere over time and to hold his word close and the truths of his word close to our hearts, we need Jesus to help us. And Peter knew this too. You remember a few weeks ago in Luke 22 when um, we looked back and we saw this is right before Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told Peter that he wanted to sift, um, that Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. So he wanted to shake him so violently that he would be blown away with the wind. In those days, farmers would um, take the wheat and they would throw it up. And so anything that, all the chaff, anything that was useless and weightless and rootless would be blown away. But the stuff that had substance, that had roots, would fall back to the ground so that they could use it and it would be useful. And so Satan was saying he wanted to shake Peter so violently that he was blown away with the wind. But here's the good news, and good news for us too. Here's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again strengthen your brothers. And of course, we know that Peter's faith did not fail. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, he did return to the Lord. And the Lord used him in a mighty way to help build his church and to strengthen the people around him and us today. As believers, he is holding us. He is praying for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
we can run to him. We can ask him to help us hold tight to God's truth. And he will do it. Psalm 121 says this, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord that he will do it. Yeah, I'll pray. Mm -hmm. Father God, we just um, are so thankful for who you are, Lord, that you will hold us tight, that you will hold us fast, Jesus. Lord, I just am so thankful that you um, love us, that you are praying for us, that you are with us in all of this amongst um, the evil that um, so wants to entangle us, Lord, that you are with us and you are walking with us and that you're holding us and keeping us. Lord, I just pray for each woman that's here as we leave today, Lord, that you would just um, draw us to your word, draw us to your truth. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you and of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.